All right, well, as you guys know already, Pastor Jeff is in wonderful Hawaii. So he and Lisa are hopefully having a wonderful time. And I get to be here and share with you um, just this really encouraging message God has laid on my heart. Are we good, Steve? Still kind of ringing? Okay. I want to start in uh, Genesis. I'm going to briefly start in Genesis 15. We're going to spend the majority of the night in Genesis 16. Okay. And um, in Genesis 15, we know that God has made a covenant with Abram. I'm going to start here in verse 4. God has basically told Abram, all this land I'm going to give to you, and I will give it to your descendants. And Abram says to God, God, I don't, I don't have any descendants. I don't have anyone. If, if you were to give me everything that I see, then it's going to go to a distant relative. It's not going to go to, I don't have a son, I don't have a daughter. It's not going to go to anybody in my family. And in 15 verse 4, God promises Abram that you, a son who comes from your own body, will be your heir. So God says this promise to Abram. Abram, this, this land is not going to go to a relative of yours. This is going to go to your own son who's going to come from your own body. Okay? Which is awesome, right? So we see this where, kind of where the story begins in Abram's life. We see that God has made this promise to them. And in verse 15, verse 6, it says, Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord considered his response of faith as proof of genuine loyalty. Okay? We're going to pick it up now in, in chapter 16. And I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage aloud to you guys, and then we'll start to kind of dissect it and break it down. In Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not given birth to any children, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from having children, please sleep with my servant. Perhaps you can have a family by her. And Abram did what Sarai told him. So, Ab- so after Abram had lived in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, Abram's wife, gave Hagar, her Egyptian servant, to her, hus- to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. Once Hagar realized she was pregnant, she despised Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, You have brought this wrong on me. I gave my servant into your embrace, but when she realized she was pregnant, she despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, Since your servant is under your authority, do to her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai treated Hagar harshly, so she ran away from Sarai. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring along the road to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from, running away from my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. I will greatly multiply your descendants, the angel of the Lord added, so that they may be too numerous to count. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant. You are about to give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your painful groans. We'll go down to verse 13. So Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, Here I have seen the one who sees me. Verse 15. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, whom Abram named Ishmael. Now Abram was 86 years old, when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Okay. So we know that God had promised Abram that he would be the father of many nations in Genesis 15. 
we don't know exactly how much time has passed between Genesis 15 and Genesis 16. It doesn't tell us how many years, how many months. We don't know the, the timing of all that. What we do know is that Sarai becomes a little bit impatient. And she says in verse 2, Since the Lord has prevented me from having children, have relations with my servant, perhaps I can have a family by her. So we see Abram and Sarai taken into their own hands and their own understanding outside of the will of God in their life. So we think Sarah knew God was preventing her from having children. She knew it, but she decided, I'm going to find a way around it. We're just going to, we're going to pull Hagar into this. So Hagar, her servant, is now kind of stuck in this issue, right? She's pulled in, and uh, as soon as Hagar conceived, she begins to despise Sarai. Despise means to treat with contempt. So Hagar begins to mistreat Sarai, and I can only imagine what's happening in her heart right now, what's happening in Sarai's mind. I mean, she didn't ask to, excuse me, Hagar didn't ask to marry Abram. She most likely didn't want to marry him or even conceive a child, but now she's, she's in this situation, and we don't know if she's feeling frustrated or angry, but we know either way she's starting to have some not good feelings towards Sarai. So what happens next? Sarai, whose idea it was in the first place, blames Abram. It clearly says in verse 2, Abram did what Sarai told him to do, right? He's like, okay, that's what you think is best, I'll do that. And then now she's like, look what you've done. This is your fault. Now she's mistreating me, right? We see this happening. Clearly, it wasn't Abram's idea. So Abram's kind of stuck in the middle of this mess that he helped create, he went along with. And we see in verse 6 that Abram gives Sarai permission to handle Hagar, whatever she thinks is best. And so what does she think is best? Well, I'm just going to be mean to her. I'm going to treat her harshly like she's been treating me, right? That's what she thinks is best. So we, here we have Hagar. She's a slave to Sarai. She's forced into marriage. She conceives a child. And then ultimately, she's mistreated by her her boss or her mistress or whoever, however you want to call Sarah. So what does she do? She runs away. She's like, I don't need this. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want any part of this. And now you're mistreating me. I'm leaving, right? I'm cutting out of here. So this is where, to me, the story really starts to get good. Okay. We're going to start in verse 7. And we're going to see, I'm going to explain to you guys really what the Lord has just laid on my heart. There are eight things we see in this next passage that God wants to encourage us all with eight things, okay? So the first thing we see here in verse 7, it says the Lord's angel found Hagar. The first thing we see is God comes near to us. He comes near to us. He went to look for her, he found her, and he took the time to be with her. In Psalm 34, verse 18, it says God is near to the brokenhearted, and he delivers all of those who are discouraged. And in Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him and to all who call out to him in truth. And then James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's many verses about God drawing near to us. But what we see here is God comes near to Hagar. That's the first thing we see. The second thing that we see in verse 8 is that God knows us. Hagar, he says in verse 8, servant of Sarai, 
He knew who she was. He knew her name. He knew what she did. She was a servant of Sarai. He knew what had been done to her. He saw her pain. He knew the decisions that were made out of her control that she, she kind of had to go along with. He knew all of it. God knows us. He comes near to us, and he knows us. He knows everything about our life. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You understand my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are aware of all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know about it, O Lord. You hem me in from behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. God knows us. And Jeremiah 12:3 says, But you know me, O Lord. You see me. Not only does God come near to us and does he know us, but next we see that God wants to engage with us. He wants to have a conversation with us. He wants to have relationship with us. Verse 8, he says, Where have you come from and where are you going? I mean, he's God. He obviously knows where she's going. But I think part of what's happening here is he knew her heart and he knows what's going on in her heart. But he's going to ask her anyway because there's something about God's relationship with us. He doesn't just tell us the right choices to make all the time. He wants us to come to those, those choices and those decisions through our relationship with him, through relating with him, through talking with him, through engaging with God. We see this happen in Jesus' life and in his ministry, um, specifically when he meets the woman at the well. And he says, you know, he knew all about this woman. He says, tell me, tell me who's your husband or where's your husband? And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right in saying so. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. He knows us. It's not that he, he doesn't ask us questions because he doesn't know. He's asking us questions to prompt our heart to help us have clarity about where we're at. Where's our headspace at? Where's our heart at? He's going to ask us those questions. He already knows everything, but he wants to invite us into that self-discovery of, oh. So he says to her, where have you come from? Where are you going? Does she, does she even know where she's going? Does she have a plan? So that's, that's really what he's asking here. He wants us to be able to have clarity through this, through this relationship with him. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says the intentions of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. God wanted to draw out what's going on with Hagar. He wanted her to be able to stop and have some clarity on what are you doing? Where are you going? And he, and he does that through engaging with her, through interacting with her. But God doesn't just stop with, with clarity. He moves on, verse 9. The Lord's angel said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. The next thing we see here, the fourth thing we see here in this passage, is that God wants to lead us. When God leads us, he goes with us. His way is not necessarily the easiest. He's telling her, return to your mistress and submit to her. You guys remember that Hagar was being mean to her mistress? So he's like, 
Okay, suck it up and go back and go back to the woman who's mistreating you, who you also mistreated in the first place. Go back to this situation that you didn't ask to be in, because I have a plan. God wants to encourage us. He has a plan, and he wants to lead us on that path. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Say, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I love this because it's such an encouragement of, again, he's, when he leads us to do things, sometimes it's, it's not the easiest thing. It's not something we want to do. Maybe we don't know how to do it. Maybe we have to really humble ourselves and we don't want to do it. But we do know that he will go with you. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And Genesis 28, 15 says, Look, I am with you. I will watch over you, and wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God wants to lead us, but he promises while he's leading us, he's going to go with us wherever he leads us. He's not promising it's going to be easy or enjoyable, but he promises to be with us. So next we see that God wants to encourage us. The fifth thing, God wants to encourage us. In verse 10, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that you will be, they will be too numerous to count. Hagar was a slave. She probably didn't have many earthly belongings or anything that was her very own. She most likely wasn't living with her family. She was living under the leadership of someone else, serving them. So this promise of God is a profound promise that he's going to take her and multiply her descendants. It's an encouragement to her that her life is significant and that she matters and that God has a plan for her life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And Jeremiah 31, 17 says, so there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sleep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. We see in the, all of these scriptures that God wants to encourage us where he's leading us to go, he's going to be there. And our lives are significant to him. So we know we serve a God now who comes near to us, who knows us, 
who wants to engage with us. He wants to lead us, and he wants to encourage us. But next we see that he hears us. Verse 11, you are to name, I'm sorry, this is Genesis 16, verse 11. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your painful groans. John 9, verse 31 says, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And Psalm 145, verse 19 says, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him he hears their cry and saves them. Proverbs 15, verse 29 says, The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Our God hears us. He hears our prayers. He hears us crying out, and he's listening. Not only does he hear us, but next we see God sees us. So Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, here I have seen the one who sees me. Again, Hagar is a slave. I mean, she probably isn't noticed by people that come around. I mean, she has to, to serve. And so she's probably not addressed by her name or even looked, at, looked upon. But she sees a God who sees her. This is significant in her life. She feels seen and known by God. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, observing the evil and good. And 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, Certainly the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to him. Job 31.4 says, does he not see my ways and count my every step? And Jeremiah 16, 7 says, for my eyes are on all of their ways. They are not hidden from my face. So we've seen through this passage that God draws near to us, that he knows us. He wants to engage with us. He wants to have relationship with us. He wants to lead us. He wants to encourage us. He hears us. He sees us. And lastly, he's a God who does not forget his promises. I want to continue with Hagar's story, and then I'm going to come back and circle back around to Abram and Sarai. So we're going to scoot over to Genesis 21, verse 20. I'm sorry. I'm actually going to move around in it. Okay, so Genesis 21, I'm going to start in verse 1. The Lord visited Sarai, just as he had said he would, and did for Sarah what he had promised. So Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Now Abraham named his son, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Okay, we're going to skip down to verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham prepared a feast on this day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah noticed that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, the son whom Hagar had borne to Abraham, was mocking. So she said to Abraham, Banish the slave woman and her son, 
for the son of that slave woman will not be an heir along with my son Isaac. Sarah's demand displeased Abraham greatly because Ishmael was his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be upset about the boy or your slave wife. Do all that Sarah is telling you, because through Isaac, your descendants will be counted. But I will also make the son of the slave wife into a great nation, for he is your descendant too. So verse 14, it says, Early in the morning, Abram took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he put them on her shoulders and gave her her child and sent her away. So she went wandering aimlessly through the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she shoved the child under one of the shrubs. And then she went and sat down by herself across from him at quite a distance, about a bowshot away. For she thought, I refuse to watch the child die. So she sat across from him and wept uncontrollably. But God, verse 17. But God heard the boy's voice. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and, and asked her, Hagar, what's the matter? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the boy's voice right where he is crying. Get up, help the boy up, and hold him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God enabled Hagar to see a well of water. She went over and filled the skins with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew. He lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother found a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So we see here that Sarah, Sarah had Isaac. And then, again, that choice that she made years earlier to go outside of what God's plan was for her and to have Hagar have Abram's baby. It comes back around to bite her again. She starts to, she starts to be frustrated that this boy is, is mocking her son. So she again asks Abram, Abram, Abraham, send her away. I love here that God comforts Abraham in verse 12 and says, do not be upset about the boy or your slave wife. Do all that Sarah is telling you because through Isaac your descendants will be counted. But I will also make the son of the slave wife into a great nation. This shows how faithful our God is. He takes our mistakes, those choices that we make, and he still makes something beautiful out of them. He still turned Ishmael into a great nation. So it says, Hagar went out into the wilderness. Abraham obviously gave her food and water and sent her away. She wandered aimlessly with nowhere to go until they ran out of food and water. I mean, this is not, not a great situation. She's homeless. She has no job, no provision. She's out of food and water. And basically, she's at this point where she is afraid that her son is just going to die. It's, it's this bad. But God, verse 17, but God did not forget Hagar, Ishmael, or the promise that he made to her. Verse 17, but God heard the boy's voice. The angel of God called Hagar from heaven and asked her, what's the matter, Hagar? Again, we see here that God hears. We see that he knew her name. He knows her. 
by name. We see that he engages with her. Hagar, what's the matter? What's going on? He knows what's going on, but he's taking the time again to have that connection with her and let her respond to him. We see that he sees her in the wilderness. He knows where she's at. He sees exactly where she is. Verse 17, do not be afraid, for God has heard the boy's voice right where he is crying. God's encouraging her, don't be afraid. Again, he hears, I've heard the boy's voice. Verse 18, get up, help the boy up, and hold him by the hand. God again is leading her. For I will make him into a great nation. You see that God has not forgotten his promise to her so many years ago in the desert. When I saw the, the similarities in both of these, I thought this is so amazing how, I mean, this, had, this was at least 14, there was 14 years between um, when, when Ishmael was born and this chapter. We know Ishmael was about 14 years old, when he was 14 years old when Isaac was born. So it's been a while since God promised her that. And she finds herself in a very similar situation 14 years later. And God still comes back around. He draws near to her. He reminds her that he knows her. He wants to engage with her. Hagar, what's the matter? He leads her again. He encourages her again. He reminds her that he hears her twice. I've heard you and I've heard your son. He sees her where she is. And he doesn't forget his promises. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Not only do we see God keeping his promise to Hagar 14 years later, but we see that God is faithful to his promise to Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 16, 16, it tells us that Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. I thought it was interesting that God makes it a point to tell us his age. And then we find out in Genesis 20 that Abraham was over 100 years old when Isaac was born. So we know that Abraham waited at least 14 years for God's promise. Because you remember in Genesis 15, God makes the promise to him. And in 16, that's when they decide to take it into their own hands and involve Hagar in this mess, right? So we know that time has passed. We don't know how much time, but it's been at least 14 years, most likely longer than 14 years, that God promised Abram, you will have a son, and I will make him into a great nation. Even when we think it's too late, God keeps his promise. In Genesis 18, the Lord appears to Abraham and he tells him, your wife Sarah will have a child. When I return this time next year, she will have a child. In 18.10, I will surely return to you when the season comes around again and your wife Sarah will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening from the entrance of the tent, not far behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and advancing in years. Sarah had long since passed menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, after I am all worn out, will I have pleasure, especially when my husband is old too. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child when I am old? 18, verse 14. Is anything impossible for the Lord? What we see in the natural, we, we kind of know things that are possible and impossible in the natural, right? You know about gravity? Hold this down. We know when things are physically impossible to do on the earth. Like we know the realm of kind of what's physically possible here. When you look at Sarah, it's, it wasn't physically in the natural possible for her to have a child. She was past menopause. She was shut down, right? But God is a God of the impossible. And I love here, when you go back to Genesis 21, verse 2, it said, so Abraham had a son in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. God had an appointed time. Those 14 years, over 14 years, Abram and Sarah were waiting. God had an appointed time. He knew his timing. He wasn't late. It's just a reminder how faithful our God is. And when you look at these two stories, you see that Abraham and Sarah, they tried to make it on their own, right? They tried to make God's promise work, like, okay, well, God hasn't been faithful, but maybe we can help him, right? We can help him. We'll figure out a way around this. We'll make God's promise happen in our timing, right? We've all done it. But what's beautiful about this is God is still faithful to them even though they tried to make a different way happen. And what ended up happening is Hagar found a God who sees her and knows her and wants to engage with her and hears her and wants to lead her. Through this, Hagar found the Lord. We don't know that she knew God. But she did after this, right? God can take some of our biggest mistakes, some of those times we've been so impatient and trying to make things work that really weren't God's plan. And he can turn them into something great. Sometimes when God makes promises to us, we can forget about them. They kind of lie dormant because it's been so long. You think, oh, I'm just going to let that go, God. God doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't give up on them. And the cool thing is, even in our own sin nature, we can't mess up bigger than his plan for our life. And through that mistake, through that choice they made out of God's covering in their life, Hagar still got to know the Lord. 
God can take some of those things that we regret and that we're still contending with. Because you can see here 14 years later, Sarah's like, get them out of here. Send them away. I'm done with this. Clearly, this was, this was a dramatic situation. It was chaotic. It was not God's, God's ultimate will was not, hey, let's just hurt everybody in this, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want our lives to be so difficult. But because of our sin nature, it happens in the world we live in, right? But the cool thing is our God is the God who covers all of that and who can bring beauty from those ashes, who can still restore. He can still have a relationship with Hagar now, and he made a promise to her, and then he still continued his promise with Abram and Sarah. Our mistakes don't stop God's plan for our life. So I just want to encourage you guys, all of us tonight, I don't know what promises God from God that you're waiting for. I don't know what prayers you've prayed for your own life or for those you love. But I know our God is a God who keeps his promises and who has a plan and who is not slow as some understand slowness, but he's patient with us so that all can come to repentance to him. We see here in Genesis 16 that we know a God who comes near to us, who knows us by name, who wants to engage with us and have relationship with us, who wants to lead us, who wants to encourage us, who hears us and hears our prayers, who sees us, and who has not forgotten his promise to us. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your faithfulness in our life. Lord, that even when when we go outside and try to make these promises or these prayers that we've been praying to you, Lord, come true on our own understanding, Lord. And nothing is impossible for you, God. Lord, that you can still step in, Lord. You begin to restore those broken areas in our life, Lord, even when we make mistakes, God. And you're a God of restoration. You're a God who keeps his promises. And Lord, I just thank you for this encouragement tonight in this passage that you are near to us, Lord. That you know us by name, that you knit us together in our mother's womb. Lord, you know when we rise and when we sleep. You know our every thought before we speak it, God. Lord, that you, you long for us to have relationship and connection and fellowship with you. God, that you want to lead us and encourage us and give us wisdom. Lord, that you do hear us. And God, you see us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our life. And Lord, I thank you that you are in the middle of the waiting for that promise. Lord, that while we are waiting for these unanswered prayers, Lord, or these promises that are yet to be fulfilled, God, that we would lean into you. Lord, that we would lean into your word. God, that we would lean into our time in fellowship with you and time of worship with you, God that we will be active waiters, Lord. We will be active in our waiting for you. Believing that you are faithful. And that, Lord, at the appointed time, you will do what you promised you will do in our lives. God, we thank you for this encouragement tonight, Lord. I thank you that you go with us even as we leave this place, God. 
that we are your lights in this world, Lord, and that we would just shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for being here with us tonight. We will see you Sunday or next Wednesday.